Amen. In John chapter 3, a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus came to, he came to Jesus at night. And Jesus told him about the kingdom and about how you must be born again, born of water and of spirit to enter the kingdom. And then he said to this still confused Pharisee who was having a hard time wrapping his brain around these new ideas, the following in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Father God, we we humbly come into your presence. We recognize your, your greatness, Lord, your holiness, and we Rejoice in your amazing grace. And God, I pray that this morning that you would open up our hearts and minds to your word. God, that your word will find fertile soil and that your word will make a difference in our lives, God. Your word is alive and active, and I pray that we will listen alive and actively. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, for the the past two weeks, we've been talking about uh, vision, why we are here. And and guess what? We're going to talk about it one more week. and I'm so okay with extending this series about vision because, like I said at the beginning of the series, it is that over time, because of circumstances, because of busyness, because of other things, because of lesser things, vision just tends to leak. So why are we here? We are here to connect people to a life-changing relationship to Jesus Christ. And that life change really is centered around two words, rescue and restoration. We are here to rescue people. Uh, Rescue people from what? Rescue people from God's wrath over sin. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the rule of the king of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving a wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. You see, we are here to, to rescue dead people. And if, if you've been reading the kind of the new Faith Comes From Hearing, this devotional I put together with a bunch of people 11 years ago, on day three, uh, the writer talked about the movie Sixth Sense. And, and that line, this, this boy in Sixth Sense, if you have not seen the movie, he, he saw dead people. And he made this statement, I see dead people. They don't know they're dead. They're everywhere. You know, and, and that's so true, isn't it? Everywhere that you and I go, every place we go, we rub shoulders with and we lock eyes on people who are dead. They're everywhere and they do not know they're dead. You know, they're dead in their 
transgressions and sins, and, and, and they do not know that, and God has called us, right, to rescue them, to make them aware that they are in fact dead and that they are, are in direct path of the wrath of God. And we want to rescue them from that. From lost to found, from wrath to grace, from condemned to saved, from dead to alive. I, I would call that life change. But listen, we're not only here to rescue people um, from God's wrath, as awesome and as needed as that is, but we're also here to restore God's image and rescued people. Uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18, like this is true. So all of us who have had that veil removed, that veil of unbelief, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. I understand, looking Acting, living a life that looks more and more like Jesus is God's intent for every one of us. And it's possible, right, as rescued people because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Yes, God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you far too much to let you stay that way. He wants to make you just like Jesus. And being just like Jesus, talk about restoration, right? Uh, Talk about life change. And so our vision is really connecting people to a life-changing, life-rescuing, image-restoring relationship with Jesus. Now, how do we, how do we ensure that this, that this vision becomes reality? By being on mission. When we, like Jesus, seek the lost... And again, here's the deal, like I said already, you know, every day, right? I mean, when you leave this place today and you go out to your neighborhoods, you go to Kroger or Food Line or to a, a restaurant later on today, you get gas at Sheets and go inside and pay for it, you know, you're going to lock eyes on and rub shoulders with people who are dead, right? Turn to the person to your right and left and say, I've seen dead people, <laughs> I've seen dead people. And, and, and that's why every day we need to pray for one. Lord, show me one person that I can share your love with today. Do you think God wants to answer that prayer if you prayed it every day and throughout the day? You know? Uh, God, show me one person that I can show your love to today. Uh, did you... Pray that prayer anytime this week. Do you have a one? Is there a, a one? Is there a dead person that God has placed in your life? They may be in your family. Uh, you, they, you may ride the school bus with them, sit next to them in class, right? They could live next door to you. They could uh, work in the office next to yours, you know. You know, has God placed someone in your life that he has called upon you and is pleading with you to rescue for his sake? Next, we keep the vision alive when we, like Jesus, make disciples. Now, I'm going to put a picture up here. And I'm not sure that you've noticed this hanging in the foyer or in the hallway. And my guess is that most people that are kind of new around here are not sure what that means. And for those who have been here for a while, that we pretty much don't even notice it anymore, right? We kind of just walk right by it, kind of like that stain on your carpet or that, that the ding on your car, you just don't see it anymore. 
But listen, this diagram, it's really pretty significant. Though leak out of us, it has. That's my Yoda right there, right? And this diagram is all about, it's all about following our commission from Jesus to, to go and make disciples. Jesus said this in Matthew 18. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit, rescue, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, restoration. You see, if you're a Jesus follower, you're called to live your life on mission. But how do we make sure we actually are living our life on mission? And that's what this diagram is all about. You see, a life that is lived on mission, it begins with belong, right? It begins with first belonging to Jesus Christ, right? When we surrender our lives in faith to Jesus, in a faith that is expressed in repentance and baptism, and then belonging to his church, belonging to his body. A life lived on mission, it begins with belong, and it, it, it deepens with grow. And this is about developing several habits that are designed to lead to spiritual growth and image restoration. And they're saying that these habits, these spiritual disciplines, they, they have no power in and of themselves. But what they do is they, they put you and I in a place where God and his spirit can do his God thing. Habits like these, right? Bible study. Prayer. Having a daily time with God. Giving your offering to the church. Regular church attendance, community. Now, 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 do you think that if someone developed these more and more in their lives, do you think that that could possibly lead to restoration, lead to them looking more and more like, like Jesus? And, and by, by the way, you know, um, this is leaked out, but you know, me and Steve Belly are working on this, and our life mission classes are going to be kicking off first of the year. Uh, you don't kick off anything right now. Holidays are coming up, right? Unless you want it to fail, right? Cause, and, and, but coming early 2018, we're kicking these classes off again because they're so important. That's a life-level mission expresses itself and serve. This is about using your unique God-given heart, passion, personality, experiences, and abilities to help make this body, this church stronger, right? And a lot of that happened this week. People were using their talents at raking leaves, at and we had so many people involved in, in Pacham cooking meals and making desserts and, and serving food and setting up cocks, right, and, and sweeping floors and mopping floors. And we had a bunch of people in here yesterday, you know, uh, uh, preparing the meal, all kinds of different people, right, at different stages of life. But they're all using their talents and abilities, right, to help make this place stronger. Scripture says, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love, right? Every part has a special work, right? It, like the human body. Yeah? And if a part of your body's not working right, some of you have seen my wife, you know, have, have seen my wife, because I'll get in trouble for mentioning it, right? I've seen my wife, right? No, she's walking around on crutches, right? She has injured her right foot. And, you know, when a part of your body's not working right, it affects the entire body, doesn't it, right? 
You know, other parts have to do the other work, and now you're walking on crutches, and now your arms start hurting, right? Because you're, you're using muscles to do something that your, your foot and leg were supposed to do, and, and we're the body, right? And, and if, but when we all do our part, right, it's good, right? You know, when she's off those crutches, that's going to be good, right? And if you had a physical injury, you've been doing rehab, when everything's working the way that it should be, that's good, right? It's a good thing when everything's working as it should. And next, a life lived on mission unleashes the favor and power of God through engage. And that sounds good, but what does it mean, right? It, 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 it means that when we engage the world with the gospel of Jesus and the compassion of Jesus... God gets pumped up, and he just unleashes. He unloads on us. He goes, oh, they get it. They get it. He unloads his favor upon us. Get it? Good. And to our vision of connecting people with a life-change relationship with Jesus becomes reality. Like Jesus, we must seek the lost, make disciples, and show compassion. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, we want to be a church that reaches out beyond the four walls of this building. That's why we had Compassion Sunday. That's why we have Courtney leading our Compassion team and coming up with great ideas, this team is. That's why we collect canned goods, right, first of every month. That's why we're doing the shoe boxes, right? Uh, That's why for several months over the past year and a half, we've had a single mom and a mom going through a hard time live in our parsonage, right, you know, rent-free, Give them a safe place to live until they could get their life in order to take the next step in it. And that's why, you know, here's a picture of these cots, right? That's why, man, I don't know how many people are involved. So many people in our church involved in making Pacham happen this weekend, you know. And, and, and that's why we have these compassion buckets, right? And, and here's a little baby right here. It's the neighbors of one of our church and attenders. Baby, how do you say that? It's a girl's name? Elleroy? Ellery. Okay. Ellery. You know, she has a heart condition, and she has to be flown to, I believe, Nebraska to have it taken care of. And, and the McClish Life Group, who won the Can Good Drive, was able to give about 500 bucks to this family and you know, to help them with that expenses. And guess what? They were overwhelmed by it, overwhelmed by it. And guess what? Those few bucks you stick in every week, they make a difference because we want to send them outside the walls. And again, we'll be doing that again coming up uh, this month, all right? So a life that's lived on mission, a life that one day hear the well done, that good and faithful service is a life that belongs, that grows, that serves, and that engages. And here's that picture again, and you just have to ask yourself, where are you on that diagram? Yeah. Kind of belongs like first base. And it's cool to get the first base, right? I mean, you got to, but, but you, if you play baseball, you don't want to stay on first base, right? You don't want to get the second, right? And then you want to get the third, but then you want to get home, right? And hitting a home run is when we have belonged, we're growing, we're serving the body, and we're out engaged in the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's called a home run. And just ask yourself, where are you on that diagram? Now, there's something else that's important in us being able to make our vision reality. It's something that also can tend to leak. You see, there are five core values that we need to both embrace and live out which basically serve as the operating system for our church and for our lives. Five convictions, anchor points, non-negotiables that are intended to guide and move us forward as we pursue this vision. And just as a a 
developed core is essential for a physical body. I mean, everything we do from sitting, standing, everyday tasks, and other activities either originates from or flows through our physical core. And like matter, a defined and developed core is essential for vision. And, and, and here's the deal. A weak core, an undeveloped core, or a wrongly developed core will lead a church to ineffectiveness and loss of vision and mission. And we have five core values at Maple Grove. They hang on a banner, whoop-de-doo, right? You know, um, probably we don't even notice them anymore, right? You think we're probably covering a hole in the wall with that, right? That's why they're hanging there. Well, and they're in a very specific order. And our number one core value is we honor biblical authority. And I can't think of anything that, 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 could, that should be at the center of our spiritual core more than honoring biblical authority, both in our lives and our church. And in regards to authority, what does it mean to honor it? It means to give it value, to submit to it, to follow it, to respect it, to demonstrate by our response to it and view of it that it's worthy of our obedience. And I understand the number one core value at Maple Grove is not to honor just any authority, but to honor, give value, submit, follow, respect, demonstrate by our response to it that it's worthy of our obedience, biblical authority. What does it mean to honor biblical authority? It, it, it means to make the Bible and nothing else, not a philosophy, not a worldview, not another person, not a teaching, not a tradition of man, not a preference, not the three pounds of gray matter in your, between your ears, not what you think, not what you feel. It's to make the Bible and nothing else the highest authority in your life and in his church. Amen. And it also means that whenever we find ourselves disagreeing with the Bible, it's because we are wrong, right? We're wrong. The Bible's always right, and we're wrong. You see, there are basically two views of the Bible, right, that we can hold. You know, one view, you know, is that, you know, one view is that we are over the Bible, Right? That I'm over it, that I interpret it, that I have authority over it, that if I don't like it, I, I can ignore it. If I don't believe it, I, I can change it. If I find it too inconvenient, I can alter it. If the culture a, a around me changes or, or, or finds it offensive, then I can amend it. Bottom line, I can do whatever I please with it because I'm over it. I'm over Scripture. And, and understand, treating the, the Bible like that it's treating this like a book about God, not a word from God. It's like we're treating this book like it wasn't breathed by the author of life, but written by a bunch of people. And listen, when we have this view of the Bible, and maybe you have it and don't realize it, then the way I can approach the Bible is like the way I approach Netflix or the Abachi Grill. I will watch whatever I want to watch. And I will only put on my plate lots and lots of shrimp. <laughs> Too much. I can eat like three pounds of shrimp. It's just crazy. You know. And I won't put things on my plate that I, I don't want to like. Right? See, that's one view of the Bible, right? I'm over it. That's not the view we take of the Bible, Maple Grove. Instead, we're under the Bible. 
See, we're convinced that this is not just a, a word. This is not just a, a, a word about God. It's a word from God. Uh, this book has authority over us. We don't have authority over it. It's not something we get to revise. We get to alter, update, modernize, ignore, amend, or edit. I mean, think about it. Finite, falling people like you and I, thinking that we can edit? Words breathed by God? Are you kidding me? Maple Grove, this church, me, you, the elders, are under the authority of this book. Therefore, this book determines what we believe. You know, I was riding a car with someone recently picking up some uh, um, stuff for our downstairs bathroom uh, with Mike Drew. Mike Drew was just saying, hey, he likes me enough, but he likes my teaching, but he said he's going to make sure it's true, right? I said, amen, I want you to do that. It, it better line up with Scripture. It, 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 if I can't point the chapter and verse, then you shouldn't believe it, Right? This book determines what we believe, what truths we hold on to. This book determines how we handle conflict, how, how we use our tongue, how we respond to hurt. This book determines what we do with our finances. It determines how we live in our homes, how we treat our wives, how we treat our kids, how we treat our husbands. It determines what we do, what we don't do, where we go, where we don't go, how we live. This book determines our responsibility to the gospel and to his church because we, we, we are under this book. But listen, when we live under the umbrella of this book comes God's blessings. Amen? 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 All people are like the grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass dies. Everyone in this room is going to die. And all your glory is going to fall. But the word of the Lord will live forever. Core value number two is that we depend on God. You see, we're not leaning and counting on our own talent and ability, our own plans and strategies, our own intellect and strength, our own resources and reasoning ability. Instead, we're lying upon, placing our trust in, we're depending on God. What does it look like, right? It's one thing to have it on a banner, right? It's one thing to fill it out in our notes, but what does it look like? What would it look like if you were really fully and ultimately depending on God? What would my life look like? What would our church look like? What would our community look like if we fully depended on God? I mean, do you think our lives would look different? Would they, would they feel different? Did you think we would do different things? Would we go to different places? Would we, would we take different risks? Would we respond to crises and challenges and opportunities differently if we were totally depending on God? The psalmist writes, some trust in chariots. Others in horses or and their abilities, and their jobs, and their 401ks, right? Whatever it is. But we trust the Lord our God. They are overwhelmed and defeated, but we march forward and we win. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, all your ways, all your ways of living, acknowledge him and he'll what? Make your path straight. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Where do you mighty mountain? Before his rubble, you'll become level ground. Then it'll bring out the capstone, the shouts of God bless it. God bless it. Now, why should we depend on God? Number one, because God is crazy big. Seriously. Like, in Psalm 40, it says that he holds oceans in his hands. Anybody been to the beach 
You ever tried to hold just the Atlantic Ocean in your hand or the Gulf of Mexico? It doesn't work too good. He holds oceans in his hands. The psalmist says that he breathes out stars, all right? He's crazy big. And he's mind-blowingly good to people like you and I, right? He's just mind-blowingly good. I, I, I kind of saw his goodness in actually in day, uh, day four of our Faith Comes From Hearing. Apparently, I can't remember who wrote this. It was so long ago, but she must be a, a kindergarten teacher. And talk about um, there's no one like him, his love. What did you learn in kindergarten? And she's talking about how they taught her a lot about love and, and, and this right here. In the process, I learned more about his love for me. He loves me when I'm doing my best to listen and follow directions. But he also loves me when I struggle, when I get off track and I try my way, only to realize that I'm lost without him. I cry out to him and he comes and finds me. He rejoices when I return to him, but he loves me the whole time. That's, that's like mind-blowingly good, right? I mean, it's unconditional. He loves me when I'm messing up. He loves me when I choose my own way other than his way, right? And we should trust him because he's absolutely trustworthy. The Lord our God, the Lord God all-powerful, who is likely, Lord, you are powerful and what? Completely trustworthy. How do we depend on God? Well, by praying God, by fault, trusting his word, right? I depend on what you say in your word. By walking with and following the lead of the Spirit. Someone has said one time that God is most glorified in us when we are most dependent upon him. I like that. Right? And here's the bottom line. We cannot and we will not accomplish the mission of God without the power of God. Right? Doesn't that make sense? Like, it does. Our third core value is that we do life together. John Ortberg, in his book, Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. Some of you got to know each other, right? It's like, dang, they're messed up. We are a messed up church with a messed up pastor full of messed up people, right? He writes the following in regards to loneliness. For centuries, some of the smartest grown-ups who've ever lived have devoted themselves to this problem. This designed hunger for community is why Plato wrote The Republic and Augustine wrote The City of God. It's why so many of our stories are about longing to reach community from the Odyssey to Walton's Mountain, from Camelot to Mayberry, from Friends to Boys in the Hood. It's why we attend church, join bowling leagues, and go on blind dates. It's why the single most remembered American speech of the 20th century was a plea for all of humanity one day, being able to eat together at the same table of fellowship, join hands, and sing a common song, social scientist Gene Elstein notes that Martin Luther King Jr. captured the conscience of the society because he was articulating not his dream, but a human dream, God's dream for community. Now, fortunately, most of us know from personal experience that, that there is no sting like the sting of loneliness, you don't have to be by yourself to be lonely, by the way, right? There's some people in marriages, and they're still lonely. You're in homes, and they're still lonely. And I'm pretty confident when it comes to loneliness, most of us have been there and done that. But we don't like to talk about it or think about it because, as Mother Teresa says, loneliness is the leprosy of modern society. Nobody wants anybody else to know that they're, that they're a leper. 
So in Genesis 2, God looks at Adam and says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll, I'll make a companion who will help him. Help him. Help him overcome his loneliness. Help him reach his full potential. And throughout the pages of Scripture, we see so many pictures of people doing life together. Abraham and Sarah, Moses and Aaron, Caleb and Joshua, David and Jonathan, David and his mighty men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo, Esther and Mordecai. (laughs) I know you're about to say it. I beat you to it. Peter and John, Paul and Silas, Barnabas and Mark, Paul and Timothy, right? You can be certain their stories would be different without this community. Even when Jesus walked the earth, he needed friends. We read in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, he chose these 12 disciples that they might be with him. And sure, he wanted them with them so that he could uh, train them, but there's also this matter of fellowship, right? I mean, Jesus had been in community since before time began. And here's my point. If Jesus needed friends, needed community, how much more do the rest of us? I understand we all, every one of us, we need somebody to lean on. We all, every one of us, need people who care about us, people that we can relax and be ourselves around. We need, we need people who will encourage us, who will support us, who will challenge us, who will hold us to account. We all, every one of us, need what I call the, a three, in the clo- three o'clock in the morning friend kind of friend you call up at 3 a.m. They say, hey, what's wrong? Can I help? Rather than, man, you know what time it is, right? You know, you're someone, hey, what's going on? I'll, I'll be right over. You see, God does not want us to live our lives by ourselves, to follow him on our own, to go through the storms of life by ourselves. And listen, it, it's, our, it's, this, it's our community, it's our oneness, it's our interconnectedness that, that actually it's where we find our strength. It's where we find our stability, kind of like the, the giant redwoods out in California. They are the largest living things on the planet. Some are three, that's a big tree. Some are 300 feet tall, and they're 2,500 years old, some of them. That's nuts, and you would think that, that they had a root system that went down hundreds and hundreds of feet, but they don't. In fact, they have a very shallow root system, But they have a root system that is intertwined with each other. And you see, it's this intertwining, it's this community between these redwoods that allows them to grow and and be strong and to to, to be stable. They need each other. So do we. And, And when we think of church simply as a building, we miss the point. I mean, if you ran into Jesus today and you say, Jesus, where's the church? He wouldn't point to a building and he wouldn't give you an address. Instead, Jesus would explain to you how the church is this massive group of people, his body, how it's his family living on this planet, people who fear him, who follow him, who are faithful to him, and who, because they they have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, reflect him to their world. In him, the whole building is joined together, Paul writes, and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit Here's the bottom line. We will not fully live the life we were created to live on our own. We just won't. We need each other. Core value number four, we engage our culture in relevant ways. 
Does God want us to engage our culture? Absolutely, right? I mean, we called Abraham. It was about engaging the culture, right? Abraham, go to this new place, and then I want you to bless all nations, right? I mean, that's been God's plan from the beginning, right? You see, what God wants to do, he wants to bless his people, and then he wants to send his people out in the world, and for them to be a blessing in the world. He wants the world to be different because they're there. He, he wants NGIC and DIA and UVA and Albemarle High School and Sutherland and all these places, right, where you live and work. He, he wants those places to be different because, because you're there, because his people are there, because you are the light of the world. That you are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And God wants you to let your light shine before other people where you work and live, that they may glorify God and come to know him. And listen, as we look at our world during the last 2,000 years, we see that the church of Christ stood front and center in making this world a better place. Caring for the sick, building hospitals, starting schools and universities, inspiring art, literature, and music, rescuing orphans, looking after the widows, feeding the hungry, abolishing slavery, uplifting the value of women and children, bringing love and resources to those suffering from war, famine, and disasters, and the list goes on and on and on and on. You see, God, God is not looking for an audience to fill a building. He's looking for an army to engage the world. I mean, it's great that we're here today to be encouraged, inspired, and to talk with one another and be with one another and praise God together and study the word together. But the real deal happens when we leave here, right? When this army leaves this place and engages this world with the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. You see, being relevant our culture, it's, it's deeper than style of music or design of building. It's deeper than what we wear or what we don't wear. All that stuff is secondary and changes, right? I mean, the early church, you know, they met in homes and they read from scrolls, right? Uh, we meet in buildings and we have a smartphone, right? That's all secondary. That's all non, that's always changing. But listen, living out our faith, the church being the church, Christians looking like Jesus, that's not secondary, that's foundational. So my question is, what would happen if the church was just a church? And we live for God's glory, not our own. Uh, we live for kingdom advancement, not self-advancement. What if our focus was on worship, not wealth, on mission, not comfort? What if we loved each other in radical kinds of ways? What if we took off our mask and we lived in authentic Christian community? What if those who had more shared with those who had less? What if racial, racial gender, Cultural, social, economic barriers melted away in our presence. You'd have to wonder if the world would sit up and take notice, wouldn't you? What, 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 if we, what if we loved the unlovely, forgave those who hurt us, reached out to the hurting, fed the hungry, freed those who were captive, served those who were less fortunate? I, I mean, if the church was just a church and, and we offered belonging to the outcast, took Christ into the darkness, brought truth to the skeptical, displayed love to our enemies. If the church was just a church and, and we shouted louder about God's love and God's grace than our hatred of a particular sin, and what if the church was just a church and our light was getting brighter and our salt was getting saltier? You have to wonder if a world would notice. 
And if the only thing that would be irrelevant would be the question, is the church relevant, right? Because we're very relevant. You see, we, we want to engage our culture in relevant ways. In here and out there. Get it? Good. And here, here's our last core value as we finish up. We practice excellence and faithful stewardship. Does excellence matter to God? Does God care about quality? I mean, does it make any difference to God whether the grass is cut, the bathrooms are clean, that those who serve in the worship team have rehearsed their songs, tuned their instruments, and are prepared? That those teaching our children are positive, on time, and prepared? That those who stand and worship in this room are, are, are doing their best? That, that I put time into my message? Does it matter to God that those welcoming people smile and are generally glad to see them? Now, some would say, well, no, God only cares about the heart, right? That other stuff is not that big deal to God. And I'd say, well, yeah, God is primarily concerned about the heart, but the other stuff is a reflection of our heart, right? It's a reflection of how much we value him. Understand, the way you serve God in the church, in your home, in your workplace, in your families, it matters. The way we live our faith the level of commitment we have to doing things well, to honoring God in every area of our lives, reveals what is in our hearts and how much we value Him. The way we live our faith, the level of our commitment we have in doing things well, to honoring God in every area of our lives, reveals what is in our hearts and how much we value Him. Paul writes, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. You do it, say it, you can sign Jesus' name to it. Hey, this is from Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. And all the work you're doing, work the best you can. The best, right? You know, if, if your best is a C plus, that's your best, right? Just your best. Works as if you're doing it for the Lord, not for people. You see, excellence honors God. It underscores value, it inspires people, and excellence is going beyond the average, right? And doing more than expected, right? Going above and beyond. And we practice faithful stewardship. When you hear the word stewardship in a building like this, what thoughts come into your mind? Are they positive thoughts? Are they warm and fuzzy thoughts? Does faithfulness matter to God? Does faithful stewardship matter? Does faithful stewardship matter to God? Does it matter to you? A guy named Randy Alcorn wrote this. A steward manages assets for the owner's benefit. The steward carries no sense of entitlement to the assets he manages. It's his job to find out what the owner wants done with these assets. Then he carries out his will. And here's the deal. God has given you stuff. Turn to the person next to you and say, God has given you stuff. And now turn to them and say, Steve's almost done. (laughs) (laughs) Praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? Okay, here's the deal. God has given you stuff. He's given you talents. He's given you abilities. He's given you money. He's given you resources. He's given you opportunities. They belong to him. They are not yours. You are his stewards. And would he call you a faithful steward of the resources he gave you? Maple Grove, today, this week, this month, in fact, every day that you draw breath on this planet, 
you will see dead people. They don't know they're dead, and they're everywhere. And they need to be connected to a life-changing relationship to Jesus Christ. They need to be rescued and restored, and for that to happen, like Jesus, we must seek the lost, we must make disciples, we must show compassion. And for that to happen, we must embrace these core values, this operating system. The Bible must be the highest authority in our lives and in our church. We must depend on God, not on ourselves. We must do life together, right? And we must engage our culture in relevant ways, in ways they can understand and relate to. And we must practice excellence and faithful stewardship. And when we do this, right, when we belong and we grow and we serve and we engage, when we do this, here's the truth. Many of those dead people will no longer be dead. They'll be rescued and they will be restored. And that pumps me up. Paul says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Then Paul answered those who didn't want him to go and suffer, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Brothers and sisters, let's do this. Let's do this for the glory of our king, and let's do this for the sake of the dead people in our lives and in our world. Would you stand and pray with me? Father God, we are humble to be in your presence. And God, in this room are, are people, many people who have been rescued Many people who have experienced your amazing grace. Many people you've called, Lord, to, to live a life on mission. And God, I, I just pray, Lord, that right now we all recommit to what we committed to when we accepted your blood for our debt. And God, I, I pray for our church, Lord, that, that we will just be a church that makes you smile. A church that seeks the lost, that makes disciples, that shows compassion. God, I, I thank you for what we've done, what we accomplished, Lord. I thank you for what's going to happen in these nursing homes on Thanksgiving Day. God, I, I thank you for the prayers being prayed for one this week by the people in this room that will open our eyes, that we'll see. And we just won't walk by the people in our neighborhoods anymore. We'll have our heads up, our eyes open, our hearts engaged, that we might encounter them, Lord. Lord, thank you for rescuing us when we were dead and didn't deserve it. And thank you for putting your Holy Spirit in us to make us look more like your Son. And thank you for your incredible patience with us because we have so far to go. God, may we be more like you. Thank you for your grace. Amen.